Good morning, Genesis Church. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. First service, I said, how are you doing? And nobody responds. But when I say good morning, people typically say good morning. It's amazing how that works. My name is Jerry, and I am the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel. And we're really glad that you're here. If you're new or you're visiting, we would love to connect with you. So please make your way to the blue tent in the lobby after service. We'd love to connect with you, get to know you a little bit, and help you take a next step in your journey with Jesus. Um, Hey, I want to take just a really quick moment to celebrate some things that are happening in the life of our church family uh, that you might not be aware of, uh, but it's evidence that we're growing as a church, which is really exciting. A few weeks ago, we had our largest Sunday gathering since the week before COVID hit. Remember remember back what life used to be like back then? And the reason I'm sharing that with you isn't to celebrate uh, an attendance number I just wanted to remind you, as we gather and regather, and we invite people to engage in community, we have evidence that there are new people that are joining us all the time. Every week, there are new people that join us, and there's more and more people that are coming back with us, and so that's really exciting. A few weeks ago, we, had, uh, we went to two services with Gen Kids from birth to fifth grade, and we had almost 90 kids. We planned for 65 to 70. And so that's evidence that we're growing with young families, which is super exciting because we believe that's the future of our church. And so we're excited about that. We've also launched some new groups a few weeks ago where people are connecting new people, are meeting new people, people that are new to Genesis. We have a group that meets here on Wednesday night and it's, all, it's made up of all new people and they're getting to know one another. And that's for me as a pastor, that's really exciting because I believe in the community of the church and people gathering around Jesus together. So that's cool. But last week we hosted Intro to Genesis. And Intro to Genesis is a small group gathering where people can get to meet the staff and ask questions and all that good stuff. It was great, but there was a consistent theme that I wanna share with most of you because, or with all of you, because you helped make this possible. Everybody that came through Intro to Genesis said some version of, this place is so inviting. I feel at home and I feel welcome when, I hear, when I'm here. One couple said, we literally stepped foot in the front door and somebody came and said, hey, are you new? How can we help you connect? Um, a lady pulled my wife to the side and said, this is my first time here. I'm visiting with a friend, but it feels like a family here. And I just want you to know as one of the pastors here, that for me has been the highlight of the week because that is us working together to create a community where people feel welcomed. And I think it's tangible evidence that the Holy Spirit is with us. And so I just want to say thanks. And I want to begin this morning by praying and thanking God for his goodness as we jump in his word. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. And we are thankful for your goodness to us. I'm thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus. I'm thankful for the gift of your word. I'm thankful for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we're thankful for the gift of the community of the church where we can come and gather together in your name, Jesus where we uh, can, can, can grow deeper in our relationship with you and with one another. So thank you. I'm thankful that we have evidence that we're growing as a church family. That's really exciting. And, and I pray that you would help to continue us to grow in this way. And I pray um, that as we dive into your word this morning, Father, I pray that you would teach us and you would instruct us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us so that we would leave here, we would leave here today different, Help us to embrace these words. They are from you. Holy Spirit, we pray for your power in these words. And help us when we gather to never gather just to feel good about being together and to check a box. We want to encounter you. Jesus, it's your name that we celebrate. And so it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago, you might remember this. I don't know what it was like at your house, but we had a really strong line of storms blow through our neighborhood late on a Sunday night. 
And I kind of got the feeling that it was a heavy storm, but I didn't really know how bad it was until the next morning when I was walking to the bus stop with our kids and there was just carnage everywhere. And we got to the bus stop with our neighbors like we do every Monday morning. And we noticed a basketball goal had blown over on someone's car. We noticed that one neighbor, a few neighbors actually had chunks taken out of the top of their trees. There was limbs and leaves everywhere. And we're pretty sure that someone had a lightning strike in their backyard. But our house looked completely untouched. And so one of the guys at the bus stop awkwardly says, must be nice to be the pastor because your house is fine. (laughs) And I did not know what to say. And so I just awkwardly responded, I guess God loves me more than he loves you. I didn't, I didn't say it, but I wanted to, but I just, I didn't want to have to get to heaven later and be like, God, I'm sorry. I thought it was funny. Right. So I didn't say that, but that's not the end of the story because that night, that Monday night, all of our neighbors got together and it was really cool. They traveled from yard to yard to help everybody clean up. And it was a really cool thing on our street. And so as it was getting dark, everybody went back to their home. We went back to our perfect home that was untouched or so we thought because my daughter discovered this in our front yard, right? As it was getting dark. Now, this is a locust tree, and I don't know if you can tell or not, but this is a four-foot crack. Our tree is split in two, and I found that at nine o'clock when it was too late to do anything about it. And so the next morning, I went to the bus stop, and I said, hey, guess what? God does not love me more than he loves you. Come check this out. So we've had to call a tree company, and they're going to come and take off all the canopy, and we're going to cable it together, and we're hoping, we're hoping that we can save the tree. This is the only mature tree in our yard. It provides shade to the front of our house. My wife got a little teary. I got mad at the thought of it coming down. But here's, the, here's the, our reality. We might be able to save it, truthfully. I hope it just lasts until we move. We're not selling, but I hope it just lasts that long. That's all I care about. But my wife and I, as we've talked about it, we just realize its life expectancy is limited now. I don't know how long it was gonna live before the storm, but it's not gonna live that much longer, or at least it's not gonna be the same. And I realized that things like this happen. Storms come through, property is damaged. Thankfully, it did not fall on our house. And thankfully, no one has been hurt. But I've also learned a lesson from that tree. And there's something about that tree that we all need to know. We have something in common with it. Our time on earth is limited. And you don't know how much time you have. You don't know when the next storm is gonna come through town. But every single one of us are gonna come in contact with the reality that our time here is limited. And so I know what you're thinking. Wow, great. Like, cool. Weren't we just celebrating like we're growing and now we're talking about we're dying? It's just a fact of life. It's the way things work. And whether we realize it or not, there's always some questions that are in the back of our heads. Questions like, how much time do I have left? And how can I make of the the most of my time here on earth? But here's a big one. What's going to happen to me when my time here runs out? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. As a church family this year, we've been reading through scripture from beginning to end. A few weeks ago, we made our way into the New Testament. Today, we're spending our second week in the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke 13, we're going to look at this really interesting story where Jesus talks about unforeseen tragedies, and he's going to use the analogy of a tree to help us understand what life really is supposed to look like. And I'm going to warn you before we jump into Luke chapter 13, I think that the story we're going to look at today is one of the most obscure stories in all of the gospels. If you read it this week, there's a good chance you were like, what, what are we talking about? Like, why does this matter? Why is this recorded? Or if you're like me and you've read the gospel of Luke before, you might not ever remember reading this story because it just seems out of place. It doesn't seem to matter much. You could take it out and like, you're not going to miss much of it. But what we're going to see is Jesus told this story for a very specific reason. 
and it ties into the bigger narrative in the Gospel of Luke. It begins in verse one with a group of people approaching Jesus to get his thoughts on some tragic events that have taken place in their local community. At that time, the Roman governor was a man named Pontius Pilate, and he had a reputation for being really ruthless towards the Jewish people under his authority. And apparently he had just put several of them to death for opposing him. And in Luke 13, we find that these people have come to Jesus. They have staged an impromptu press conference to get Jesus to see if he can make a, a statement or to condemn Pilate's actions. It starts like this in verse one. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose, who, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Verse two, Jesus answers, do you think that these Galileans who died were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will perish. Now we don't know anything about the two events that Jesus is referring to, but instead of taking the bait to answer their question, Jesus pulls a Jedi mind trick and he says, I've got a question for you. And he asks a question similar to, do you think that people who die tragically or unexpectedly die because they're worse sinners than the rest of us? Or to get a little more specific, Jesus basically says, so do you think you're better than those people that died tragically? Have you ever wondered if God really does work that way? I mean, let's be honest, I think we all have in some way. Don't you ever wonder if God plays favorites for people that seem to have it together while secretly zapping those of us for something hidden in our lives? And there's lots of awful things that happen in our world all the time. Every day, there are storms that pass through that damage property and kill people. And every day, today, someone somewhere is gonna get a diagnosis that's not good or they're gonna die tragically or suddenly. Look around the room. If this was the population of the earth, one of us is going to die next. It's just going to happen. There's a 100% chance. Every day, there are children who are neglected and families that are torn apart by violence because of abuse and addiction. I was talking to a friend recently about the church that she grew up in. And she was telling me this story of a couple in their church who lost a child tragically. And someone in their church family, someone that claimed to follow Jesus said to this grieving mother, you must have some unconfessed sin in your life that God wants to deal with. Now, can you imagine being on the receiving end of that when you're grieving the loss of a child? And personally, I think that's a hurtful, awful, theologically irresponsible and repulsive thing to say to a grieving parent. But you know what the sad thing is, is some people think that God works that way. Some people think that God plays favorites. But here's the reality. Every single day, right now, innocent people are dying. Innocent people are suffering in a variety of horrific ways. And we would all agree, it's sad, it's tragic, it's heartbreaking. And you know, if there's anything that we've learned in this pandemic-stricken world that we've been living in for the last 18 months, I think it's that we don't have words to adequately express how we feel about all the hardships and tragedies in life. Think of all, everything that we've gone through emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically, people that we know. We don't have words to quantify that, and it's showing up in the world around us. And so in Luke 13, Jesus 
wants to help us understand, look, God does not play favorites for people that appear to have it together and punish those that have these secret sins in their lives. Instead, Jesus uses this opportunity to, to address the direct impact that sin has on me and on you, on all of us corporately and specifically. And so if you look back at verses two through five, you're gonna notice that Jesus issues a warning, a strict warning, a clear warning, not just once, but twice. Look back at verse two. Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you all will perish. Or what about the tower when it fell on those people? Do you think that they were worse than everyone else? Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So what is Jesus's official statement on, on suffering in our world? Well, if I had to summarize this story in my own words, I think I would say it's okay to ask why. Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much brokenness in our world? But according to Jesus, we all have a bigger issue to deal with. And it's this, your sin is going to result in your death. My sin is going to result in my death. Because we sin, we're guaranteed to die. And if we're fortunate, it might be of old age in our sleep, but it probably isn't going to be. It's probably gonna be tragic. For some of us, it might be when we're young, but because we sin, we're guaranteed to die and we're all on borrowed time. And this is why Jesus issues this really stern and very clear warning saying, repent or you will perish. I want you to think about your refrigerator or your cupboard at home right now. Is there anything in there that's perishing? What do you do with food that perishes? After you gag, you throw it away. It's no good anymore. It's not safe to eat. And so you toss it. Jesus says, look, I want you to know because of sin in your life, you have an expiration date. Your time is limited. Everyone's gonna die and you don't want to die separated from your heavenly father for all eternity. And so that's why on two occasions in four verses, he says, repent or you will perish. Now the dictionary defines the word repent this way. It's, it's expressing regret or remorse about our wrongdoings or our sins. But really, biblically speaking, repentance is more than just regret. Biblically speaking, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of our actions. I'm gonna say that again. Repentance is a change in our minds, a change in our hearts that results in a change in the way that we live. So biblical repentance is acknowledging our sinfulness towards God and others, and then moving forward with a lifestyle and a mindset of obedience. It's, it's different. We're moving towards God. Now, if this idea of repentance and eternal life is new to you, I'm really, really, really thankful that you're here. And I want to encourage you to pay attention to what Jesus says next, because he is going to share an analogy of what life apart from God looks like. And here's a spoiler alert. It's not good. But I also want to take a moment to talk to everyone in here that's like me, that has grown up in church, that has been around church for a while. You're familiar with the way of Jesus. You've been following him for a while because he is going to share, he's going to share a parable and he's speaking to every single one of us. If you're like me, you hear the word repent and you're like, yes, okay, I need to admit that I'm a sinner, acknowledge my sins, trust in Jesus to pay for them so that I can be made right with my heavenly father. Yes, I've done that. Cool. Check. 
But Jesus is saying, look, I want you to pay attention because there's a way that God expects you to live. There's something that God expects to see in your life as a result. And he issues a warning that we cannot ignore. So he shares this parable in verse six. He says, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. I want you to cut it down because it's using up the soil. Verse eight, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit in a year, fine. But if not, then you can cut it down. Now throughout the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus often taught in parables. And when Jesus taught in parables, he was telling a, a story about a spiritual reality that went beyond the story that he was telling. And so when you hear Jesus teach a parable, it's really helpful to ask a couple of questions. First of all, who is he speaking to? Who is around him? Who is he talking about? And what point is he trying to make? And throughout the Old Testament, this is gonna help. Throughout the Old Testament, it's good for us to know that vineyards and fig tree, this imagery of vineyards and fig trees was often used to describe God's relationship with his people, the nation of Israel. And a fruitful tree was often used to symbolize a godly life. So in this parable that we just read, the owner of the vineyard represents God and the fig tree represents the people of Israel. And in this story, we learn that after three years, the owner of the vineyard is frustrated because this tree is fruitless. And in his mind, it's useless. And he says, it's just taking up soil. Let's get rid of it. Now, if Jesus was just talking about a tree here, no big deal. You might think that's kind of harsh, but no big deal, right? But Jesus isn't talking about a tree. He's actually talking specifically to and about the people of Israel and their fruitlessness and their rejection of Jesus as their Messiah. And you know, from the outside, they probably looked a lot like us. They probably met together just like this and sang songs to God and studied God's word. They probably met together in homes and shared meals and prayed for one another. Apparently they had become really good at looking good spiritually, but they had a huge problem in spite of all of their religious activity and all their efforts to please God, their lives, according to Jesus, were completely fruitless. And the most telling sign of their fruitlessness was the fact that they were completely blind to their personal sinfulness. They were more caught up in looking the part than actually living out obedience to God. They spent their time trying to look better and be better than everyone else. They spent their time having conversations about, well, why do you think so-and-so died? Gosh, it must've been something bad. They were completely blind to their own sinfulness. And that's why Jesus was calling them to repentance. He knew that God wanted them to have fruitful lives for his kingdom. And he knew that God was growing impatient. He was tired of their fruitless disobedience. And so Jesus is urging them to turn back, to repent to God before their time ran out. I bet all of us can think of an appliance or something at home right now that you are fed up with because it does not work right. We have a coffee maker that leaks out of the bottom and we've putting, been putting off, throwing it away. I'm gonna go home and throw it away today. You know why? Because I'm tired of it. it needs to get, it's, it's time is over. I can't fix it. I've tried, I'm done. When it happens in our life, it's frustrating. That's the story. That's the picture here. This is a really intense, very serious Warning. 
But here's what's interesting. As I've been studying this passage, I've discovered there is another character in this parable that I have never paid attention to. They've been invisible to me until about a week and a half ago. We said that the landowner represents God. The fig tree represents the fruitless nation of Israel. And in verse seven, we're introduced to someone specifically. It's the caretaker of the vineyard. Look back at verse seven. So the landowner says to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. I want you to cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? And then in verse eight, the caretaker responds, sir, the man, the caretaker says, leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine, good, great. But if not, then you can cut it down. Would anyone like to take a guess at who the caretaker of the vineyard is? There's only one person it could be. It's Jesus. I had never seen him in this story before. And in this parable, we learn he is the caretaker of God's people. He is appealing to his heavenly father for mercy and for patience because they claim to know him, but they don't. They're living in disobedience to him. And so as the caretaker, Jesus doesn't just appeal to God's mercy and his patience. He actually says, and oh, by the way, I'm willing to put in whatever work is necessary to help this tree become fruitful. Look again what he says. He says, I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit, good. If not, then you can cut it down. Now, in the case of a fruitless tree like this, apparently they would dig a trench around the tree to free up the roots from anything that might be binding it and allowing it to not grow. And then the caretaker would come and dump fertilizer on it in hopes that it would stimulate growth and lead to fruitfulness. And in the same way, Jesus, as the caretaker of God's people, he is offering to do in my life and in yours, whatever it is going to take for us to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to grow. He doesn't want us just to float through life and look good. That's not the goal. Now in Jesus's day, this parable was aimed directly at the people of Israel who were in the process of rejecting Jesus as God's promised Messiah. They studied the scriptures and he's like, I'm right here. And they're like, it's not you, sorry. Jesus is like, your time's almost up. But pay attention because 2000 years later, I think the same warning is true for all of us. I'm convinced that there's warnings in here that apply to every human on the planet. Throughout Luke's gospel, this call to repentance is a central theme. In Luke 3, John the Baptist shows up preaching a baptism of repentance. In Luke 5, Jesus declared that he had come to call sinners to repentance. In Luke 15, Jesus teaches that the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. This is a really big deal. It's an exciting thing. But in Luke 13, Jesus says, repent or you will perish. It's a warning for all of us because repentance warns us that our lives are fragile and our time here is limited. And this is a hard reality, right? It's a hard reality for us to grasp. And again, it doesn't matter how old or young you are or how old or young you feel. It doesn't matter how much you do or don't work out. It, it doesn't matter. We're all going to die soon. I went to a funeral this week. I had two funerals in the same town. I, I, I could only get to one of them. Somebody is going to be next. 
Our lives are fragile more than we realize. And as the caretaker of God's people, Jesus knows our time is limited. And this call to repentance is meant to confront the reality of my sin in your sin. He said, you cannot ignore this. This is a really big deal. So that through faith in him and in him alone, our sins can be forgiven. We can be made right with God as our heavenly father. And we can begin living, living fruitful lives in Jesus, through Jesus and for Jesus. So repentance is a warning, but it's also an invitation to begin a brand new life. Now, earlier we defined repentance as a change in our mind that brings with it a change in our actions. And when that, in, and when that change involves trusting Jesus, the result is a radically changed life. Things look different. Things function differently. Because we, we realize, no, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need my sin to be paid for. I am not in right standing with God as my heavenly father. And we trust in Jesus's death in our place for our sins. And this is where this parable needs to come to life for us. It's meant to serve as a picture of God's grace and his mercy and his patience, but also of his judgment because our time is limited and he has extended mercy to us through his son. I love how pastor and author Ken Hughes describes this. He says this, as the caretaker of our souls, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who transcends, sustains, and maintains the vast cosmos, he gives us an extended period of grace during which we, he painstakingly does what he can to bring forth the fruit of repentance in our lives. Jesus digs to free us. He pounds on us. He works with us through the ups and downs of life. He pries out our earthly attachments and our distractions so that we might become fruitful for him. And then Hughes asks this question, and I wanna ask this question to you directly. Has Jesus been digging around the roots of your earthbound soul? Has he been digging into your, into your relationships, your profession, your hobbies? in your family in a way that it has left you reeling, your head is spinning. The object of these shakings and these diggings is that you might become fruitful. This is such an amazing picture of God's mercy and God's grace that he has extended to us through Jesus. And that kind of mercy and that kind of grace is intended to, le to lead us to a brand new life that is focused specifically on Jesus to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about producing fruit for the kingdom of God, let me be real clear. I'm not talking about reading the Bible more. I'm not talking about upping your church attendance or serving or giving more money. Those are all good things. I'm not talking about letting people over in traffic to be a nice person. I'm not talking about you being the best version of you. I'm not even talking about you swearing a little less. Those are all okay, but that's not fruit for the kingdom of God. The kind of fruit that Jesus wants to produce in our lives isn't something that we can produce on our own, just like in the parable. True fruitfulness only comes by knowing Jesus as the caretaker of our souls and allowing him to fertilize our soul through the power of God's word in the presence of his Holy Spirit in our life. And in Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul wrote a church, wrote a letter to the church in Galatia. And he says, let me tell you what the fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like. It's a life of love and joy 
and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's the kind of fruit that God is looking for in our lives. That's the kind of fruit he wants us to produce. And that kind of fruit does not come through self-righteous living, through religious gymnastics, or just trying harder. The only way we can produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is by having the Spirit inside of us. And according to Jesus and every writer in the New Testament, the only way the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and lives inside of me is through a life of repentance, by acknowledging our sinfulness to God, by accepting Jesus's death on our behalf for real, not just here, but here. And then we receive the gift of forgiveness. We're made right with our heavenly father and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he begins to change us. We change the way we think and the way that we live. That's the message of the gospel. That's why Jesus told this parable. That's why Luke included it in his gospel. And one of the things that's interesting about this parable is it's, not op- it's, it's left open-ended. Look back at verses eight and nine. The landowner says to the caretaker, I'm sorry, the caretaker says to the landowner, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it, I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, good. But if not, then we can cut it down. Jesus says, the clock is ticking. I am appealing to your heavenly father. Turn back to him. Now in Jesus's day, this was specifically aimed at the people of Israel that were rejecting him. They were in the process of rejecting him as their Messiah. And here's what's interesting. Chronologically speaking, this parable Jesus shared around the end of his third year of ministry to Israel, meaning there was three years and it was proving to be fruitless. And if you go to Mark 13, and this is also recorded in Matthew, Jesus goes into the city. Everybody says, you're our king. But then a few days later, they're going to reject him. They're going to kill him. During that span of time in his last weeks of ministry, his last week of ministry, his last days of life, Jesus approaches a fig tree that has leaves, but no fruit. And he curses it. Have you ever read that story and thought, what's that about? He curses the fig tree and says, you will never bear fruit. And his disciples come back and it's completely withered. Their mind is blown. Jesus says, time is up. He wasn't hangry. It was an, it was an enacted parable. He, he warned about it here. The time had come and a few days later, he would be dead. He would rise from the dead and say, it's over. Like I'm doing it right now. So it was aimed at the Israelites then, but now it is for us to pay attention to what he is saying and what he has done. And so I wanna speak to a couple of different groups of people. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I think you need to hear Jesus's words, repent or you will perish. And I'm not saying that to scare you or to intimidate you. I believe that Jesus's warning is very real. When I was 20 years old, I, the Holy Spirit, presented this to me. And I knew, I thought I was a really good person. I had always gone to church. But if Jesus returned at that moment, I knew I was done. I'm not on his side. I knew that I was dead in my sins and I turned to him. And so I want to invite you to repent or just know that Jesus warns you will perish. Your life is fragile. Your time is limited. And Jesus, the caretaker of your soul, he doesn't want you to die and suffer punishment for eternity. He is waiting for you to admit that you've sinned. He says, I can pay for that. I've taken care of that. I'm just waiting for you to receive this gift. I think that the, the warning is real, but the invitation is better. And so what are you waiting for? 
I want to invite you today to turn to Jesus in repentance. You can walk out of here today knowing you have been given a brand new life. And if, no matter what happens to you, you are saved. But I also want to talk to all of you that are like me. And you're thinking, I've already done that. I'm not questioning your salvation, but I think we have to be really aware of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, God, your heavenly father that has saved you, that has filled you with his spirit, he expects you and me to live a fruitful life for him. And there is something in your life. There are several things in my life that the Holy Spirit is poking at saying, you need to repent. I want to do more in your life than you can imagine, but you have to confess this. You have to move past this. He's calling all of us to repentance. I think he's calling all of us to repent of self-righteous living where we think we're working to somehow earn our salvation. Like Jesus does 99% of it, we're, we're good for 1%. It doesn't work that way. He does all the work. And so we need to repent of self-righteous living. And we need to repent of allowing our political views to get ahead of God's kingdom agenda. When we put everybody in boxes and categories, we are no different than the world. Jesus says, love people the way that I love people. Repent of that. Some of us need to repent of anger in the way that we talk and treat people in our heads and in our hearts and for real in our homes. Some of us have addictions and you might think, ah, I don't drink that much. And everybody's like, nah, you drink too much. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, it's time to be done. Repent of that. Maybe it's, maybe it's from pornography. It's this secret life that you think no one's gonna know about. It's, it's rotting you from the inside out. Maybe it's pride. You're convinced that you can be better than everyone else. You're no different than anyone else. Maybe it's greed. You're hoarding your possessions for you and you're not sharing with the kingdom of God. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is calling you to repent of. He is calling all of us to repent of something. Earlier we said, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of our actions. I think it's time for us to put our faith into action for real, to live real fruitful lives. So here's what I wanna do as we close. I'm gonna invite in just a moment our staff to come up here and spread out. Um, we've got a couple of elders in the room. I wanna invite you guys to come up as well. We would love to pray with you over anything in your life that you just feel like the Holy Spirit saying you need to deal with this today. We're not trying to pry into your life. We don't even need to know the details. We just wanna be a conduit to be available to you. It might be that you can talk to one of us and receive salvation today. It's a free gift. It's available through faith in Jesus. It might be that you're dealing with something in your life and you need to talk with somebody. Take advantage of this opportunity. Don't carry it anymore. Your first step of repentance might be just coming to pray with somebody today. So I'm gonna pray. We're going to worship. And during that time, I wanna invite you to come forward and to pray with someone if you need to. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for your boldness. I'm thankful that you never held back. I'm thankful that you would tell these stories. And when we take time to pull them apart, we can see what you're talking about. And, and the message here is clear, repent or perish. Would you lead us to repentance? If there's anyone here, Father, that has not received salvation by admitting that they're sinful and relying on your death on, in their place, I pray that you would do for them what you've done for me and for so many others. Would you, would you speak to them and say, come today, receive this gift. 
Would you help them to not worry about what other people think, but to respond in humility and to know that the heavens, the, the angels rejoice when sinners repent. Father, I pray for all of us that are following Jesus, but we're hindered in our fruitfulness. I pray that you would call us forward to pray and to confess this morning so that we could see the power of your Holy Spirit alive in us. Would you help us to repent, to change our hearts, to change our actions so that we can live truly fruitful lives for you. Help us to do it out of a sense of joy and love for you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We invite you to move right now. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're gonna stand and worship. And if you're ready to pray with someone, I wanna invite you to, to be brave. Take a bold step today and come and pray with someone. Let's worship together.